Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hey, everybody. Welcome again to the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipelines. Jim Callison, Jonathan Mayer. Jonathan is in sunny and warm Miami, Florida at the Rookie Career Development Program. Jim and I are in much colder cities with much fewer beaches as well, but we will live... uh, I guess we'll live through you, Jonathan, and we'll get into the RCDP. We're going to hear from some of the players that Jonathan has gotten a chance to talk to this week as well. Uh, but before we get to that stuff, some more newsworthy stories to get to first. And, and guys, I want to start with Kyler Murray, who has basically said he will enter the NFL draft. Of course, he is a junior at Oklahoma, the Heisman Trophy winner. He was the number nine pick by the A's in the baseball draft. But being drafted by the NFL will put a huge wrench in those plans. He can still kind of make a decision as far as which sport he wants to play, but it's certainly going to get interesting. Um, Jim, it kind of, I feel like it, we were talking a little bit about this. Maybe it eliminates 2019 spring training because you have the combine in February and prep for the draft. This certainly has to have the A's doubting what is going on. Yeah, I mean, I have a feeling that we may never see Kyler Murray play a professional baseball game, to be honest with you, because I think there's two important factors with this. One, and the most important, based on what he's going to do long term, is that it has been clear going back to his high school days when he was the best athlete coming out of high school, best athlete in the whole 2015 draft and could have been a first round pick easily. He took himself out of the draft. Kyler Murray's passion is football, clearly. So I think that plays into it. But, you know, it's just unfortunate the way this worked out for the A's. There were other teams who would have taken – there were even teams ahead of the A's who thought about taking him. And at the time, I, I do believe Kyler Murray was sincere about playing baseball. It's just he'd waited three years. He, he was at AM, then he had to sit out when he was transferring. He was behind Baker Mayfield. He'd waited three years to get a chance to be a full-time starter at the college level, and he wanted to do that. But, you know, he's – Whatever he's listed at, he's probably realistically about 5'9", 175, which is tiny. That, that might be the smallest NFL quarterback in years. And so he wasn't really seen as any kind of premium NFL prospect. But then he goes out and he wins the Heisman Trophy and he puts up the same numbers. And it's not all stats, but he puts up the same numbers that Baker Mayfield put up. And Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick. And he's not a big guy. He's bigger than Kyler, but he's not as fast. And went out and had a really nice rookie year a record-setting rookie of the year with the Browns. And all of a sudden, you know, it's a bad quarterback draft too. Kyler Murray's probably a first-round pick. 
And I think I'm not shocked by this at all. I, I was surprised that he signed at the time. And then I thought it was a really creative deal because everybody knew he wanted to play this, this at least a season or two of football at Oklahoma. But he was even more spectacular than I think than anybody could have imagined. And he was a big time prospect coming out of high school. And it's just kind of like a, a perfect storm of like worst case scenarios for the A's. But like, I, I don't, if he, if he signs an NFL, I mean, he's, if he's a first round NFL pick, which it sounds like, it's not like somebody's going to release him after a year. So he's going to be, that's at least a three, four, five year, you know, commitment. I don't know if we're ever going to see him play pro ball, pro, pro baseball, that is. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting. And you'd love to say like, oh, he's a great athlete. He can do both. But Jonathan, you can't, you can't do both when you're a quarterback. If you're a receiver, maybe a running back, you can kind of debate whether or not a guy could play baseball and then return to football to play those positions, Bo Jackson, or even if you were a cornerback on defense. But quarterback is just too much. Too much is involved in being an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree with that, um, uh, especially when you're trying to develop as a, as a baseball player and you need to get reps in to be able to handle the loads. Yeah, the, the two examples, you know, you mentioned Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders is really the other one in terms of really being able to to do both at the highest level. Uh, you know, Anthony Alford was going back and forth between playing college football and minor league baseball, uh, but stopped playing football and made it up to, to the big leagues. And he wasn't a quarterback either. So uh, I, I think just the, the amount that is on a quarterback's shoulders in, in terms of preparing for a game would, would completely preclude somebody from being able to to play both sports. I, I, I don't see it happening. So he, he's going to have to make a decision. And I, I, I guess, I mean, if I were going to guess what's going to happen, I, I think that thinking about spring training being wiped out because of the combines, I, I could see that being a distinct possibility. And he goes through that, sees where he's drafted and then makes a decision from there. And, uh, you know, Jim fortuitously uh, took a Kyler Murray question for inbox uh, this week before this news hit. Um, so, uh, Jim, first, let's go to Vegas because clearly you can predict the future. Um, but, uh, but second, it was you know it was, it was good timing, and, and the, the nature of the question was, should the the A's be worried? And the answer is clearly, uh, yep, yes, they should. And and there's no compensation for this, right? They they won't get a draft pick next year. No, no, he, yeah, he, he he signs. So you don't get compensation for an unsigned first rounder. You know, the, my understanding is, is that they paid a, a portion of the bonus, but the bulk of it was going to get paid this year. Um, that That's somewhat typical with guys, not just football players, guys who get big bonuses that they paid in, in multiple installments. But, but Jonathan, I'm going to go a step further with you. Uh, he, I think it's, it's not, he's not going to spring training if he's in the NFL draft because if I'm an NFL team, because of the time commitment, and it's not just preparation for games, it's going through all the offseason stuff and getting learning the offensive system of whatever team takes him. I, I can't take Kyler Murray in the first round if he's going to go play baseball. So he's going to have to show NFL teams that he's playing football. And so I, I would be shy. Like, if you want to go to Vegas, I think there's a 0.0% chance he goes to spring training right now. Um, because if he does that, then NFL teams are going to be like, wait a minute, what's going on? He's got to be all in for football to go in the first round. Yeah. So like I, I, that's, and that's why I like, I don't think, I I don't think he's going to go to spring training. And 
And, you know, yeah, you know, I mean, you hit on the, exactly why you can't as a quarterback do both. Well, you know, Jameis Winston was a very talented player as well. And I, I got in a Twitter argument years ago talking about how, you know, it wasn't going to be possible for Jameis Winston either because Jameis Winston went number one in the NFL draft. And again, they aren't going to let him. I mean, and he was a pitcher, so it's like a little bit less involved than trying to learn how to hit professional pitching. The, the sad thing is, too, is that Kyler Murray – I can't imagine, but let's say football doesn't work out. And after he plays out his rookie contract, he wants to come back to baseball. He's going to have lost way too many at bats to probably make that work. Um, but you know, it, it's funny because my Twitter, since that, that pipeline inbox came out, I've had a lot, I think mostly A's fans who are upset about this and angry and, you know, A's should never done this. I don't fault the A's for taking this gamble, Jonathan. I'd be curious about your take, but I mean, he's a guy, I think the best comp I've gotten on him, is probably Andrew McCutcheon. He's that he's that type of player. You potentially nobody's saying he's going to you know be an MVP for sure, but he's a potential Andrew McCutcheon type player. And at the time they did this, I do believe he was sincere. I don't think this was some ploy that they got used by Boris or Kyler Murray wasn't sincere. No, I mean he was. I think he was sincere. I don't think anybody foresaw him becoming this kind of NFL prospect. Um, and, and so I don't think there it was seen as that much. I think the risk that was involved was. You know, what if he gets hurt? Nobody was taught. I mean, we both talked a lot of teams, Jonathan. Nobody was talking about, hey, what if we sign him and then, you know, he's going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, he wasn't seen as that kind of prospect at the time. Yeah, and I still wonder about the size, but it seems like he's overcome that to a point. It'll be interesting to see what happens because Scott Boris, you mentioned the name, his agent for baseball has said as recently as December that he's still going to play baseball. That seems like it could go the other way. But he'll have to have a football agent as well. I don't think it'd be a new way for an agent to lose a client, right, that he goes and just picks another sport after you've gotten him his first pro contract. I don't know how that'll work, Tim. I don't know how that'll work because Scott has had two sport guys in the past, like Chad Hutchinson, who who was a first-round pick and also played in the NFL as a quarterback after baseball didn't work out. And Mark Rogers – was Russell Wilson's agent for baseball. He, he turned professional in baseball before he did in the NFL. But Mark Rogers, very good for Mark Rogers, remained Russell Wilson's agent in football as well. So I'm not sure. I don't know who Kyler Murray's NFL representation will be, but it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that it could still be Scott Boris. And you know, J, kudos to J.J. Cooper, who who before this kind of blew up, did a story about a month ago for Baseball America pointing out that from a financial standpoint, everybody talks about, hey, you know, like like the perception was that, that baseball is the way to go. And that's actually not true. Now that Kyler Murray is going to be a first-round pick, the bonus he would get in the guarantees would be higher guarantees than the $4.66 million he got from the A's. And he would be in line for a bigger payday if he has success quicker in football when that first contract expires rather than he would in baseball where he's probably going to spend – you know, two or three years in the minor leagues and then two or three years of making a minimum salary, the huge payday in baseball would also also be further off in the horizon. Um, you know, and I think, you know, it's if, if you're successful at both, you probably make more as an average quarterback or star quarterback than you do as an average outfielder or star outfielder in baseball. The quarterback position get, gets paid differently than the rest of the NFL guys. So, you know, I, I, I actually laud the A's for taking a gamble that other teams were prepared to do to get a, a very, very talented player. But I just worry at this point from a baseball standpoint, I, I don't know if we're ever going to see Kyler Murray take a professional at bat. Yeah, and it's a one. It's a, just real quick. I was saying it's the one position where I think there's less fear of uh, of 
injury destroying your career. You know, everyone talks about the 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 small amount of time, the average career in the NFL is what three years, whatever it is. Um, but that's you know typically the other positions. Quarterbacks have some longevity, and there's more and more done in in in, in the game now to protect a quarterback. So I think that sort of fear of injury while he's playing thing in, in the NFL is not uh, quite the same as if he uh, were say a running back where the, the, the sort of career expectancy is much shorter. So it seems like we're going to get real answers to this sooner than we maybe expected if he does indeed uh, become a first-round NFL draft pick. All right, speaking of the first round of the 2018 Major League Baseball draft, from the nine, number nine pick, Kyler Murray, let's move up a spot to the number eight pick, Carter Stewart, who went to the Braves did not end up signing with the Braves. The Braves ended up offering him a below-slot bonus because they found some issues with his wrist during the post-draft physical. Um, he filed a grievance against the team. That grievance failed. So when you look at it now, things are what we thought they were as far as how this will play out. Stewart was hoping to become a free agent. He will instead be back into the draft pool. You guys are, have already have him in the, uh, in the top 10 in the draft prospect rankings heading into the 2019 draft. So, um, Jim, just, I guess, lay this out for us. What does it mean? It doesn't really mean much for the Braves other than they will get that pick back in the top 10 here in 2019. Yeah, it, it reaffirms that, you know, they, they'll get the ninth overall pick in this year's draft. You know, it was interesting. There weren't a whole lot of details that came out about the grievance. You know, the grievance, my understanding is that, Stewart, you know, and Stewart switched agents after he didn't sign with the Braves. My understanding was that, that his contention was that he was not offered the 40% uh, of his full slot. The Braves would have to offer a player who has an injury that wasn't related to the pre-draft MRI program, which is a lot of verbiage there, um, to get that pick. And it was going to kind of come down. Like it sounded to me like it was going to be a matter of semantics because the Braves knew the rule. The, 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 this, what, what Jonathan and I got at the time from our sources was the Braves had offered him that. So maybe it was a question that they didn't offer it in a hundred percent technically proper manner. You know, the, 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 the weird thing about it was, and you probably had this too, Jonathan, when we were doing draft stuff, when we did our draft list at the beginning of December, every scout editor I'd say to you just about would ask me if I didn't ask him, like, why is this grievance taking so long? Like if it's a matter of whether they offered him or not, it seems like that's cut and dried. You know, like if you had whatever the definition is of a formal offer, it would seem you would either have evidence that that was made or not made. But but you're right, Tim. I, I don't think it's a big. It, it's so much. I mean, the, the significance really was going to be. I never felt like this was something where they're really going to make Carter Stewart a free agent. I mean, I guess it was possible, but you know whether maybe the Braves would lose their pick. You know, which they did. Yeah. So, I mean, it ends up kind of being what we what we thought it would be, as you said, Tim. Um, uh, the, the Braves have had some changes to their scouting department just recently announced. Uh, not directly because of this. I have to think that there was I can't imagine that this didn't play some sort of role. Uh, Brian Bridges, the scouting director, was dismissed and, and Roy Clark as well. Um, you know, I, there's more to it than than just this one this one draft pick obviously but uh you know so th they're making some changes there um the you know now we can kind of look forward to 2019 uh and you know Carter Stewart has kind of been in in limbo and you know hadn't even officially enrolled uh anywhere 
but I think what will happen now is, you know, he will head to, to junior college uh, as we, as we expected. And then it's going to come down to how, how healthy he is. Um, the, the plan it seemed is that he was likely going to go to Eastern Florida state, which is right in his backyard uh, on the East coast of Florida and, and pitch there. I, you know, when we were putting together our, our top 50 uh, for next year's draft, I, I talked to several people who said, you know, if you know, if you can have certainty that he's healthy, he, he, he might be the best pitcher in this draft class. Uh, it's not a great class for, for pitching, uh, as we've talked about before. It, it's more bat heavy, especially up top. And his stuff is really, really good. He had one of the best curveballs uh in in 2018 class if not the best uh, he'll have to go out and show that whatever this wrist issue is is not gonna keep him from from throwing that that curveball which is really his separating pitch but he's also got a really good fastball up to 97 uh he's got a, a change up um that he developed so you know he, there's a lot to like he's projectable six foot six um you know uh Jim, you're saying you're, you know, that he has, he has enrolled. Um, you know, I'm here. It's my understanding is he has officially enrolled. And, and like you said, everybody wants to see this guy pitch because he, he hurt the wrist at the end of his senior season. Right, Jonathan, like you do our Florida stuff. He got hurt before the draft and it was a concern, but the way this all works is like, you can't really, there's no mechanism to examine a pitcher's wrist before the draft. And it bothered the Braves enough that they backed off their offer. Um, you know, I think their concern was related to the fact that, I mean, you, you talked about his curveball, which is one of the better high school curveballs in recent years. It, it's got like a spin rate that would be at the top of the major league le- leaderboards. And I think the Braves concern was, well, if there's some, let's say there's some long-term effects on his wrist from this injury, which nobody knows because he really hasn't pitched much and you, you don't know how it's going to play out. And there isn't a lot of history to compare this to. If there's a long-term effect on his wrist that affects his ability to spin the ball, well, then you're talking about a whole different Carter Stewart. So it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate situation for both the team and the player when you have an injury crop up um, like this, I mean, it, we, we saw this with Brady Aiken and, you know, Brady Aiken didn't have an injury per se. He had a, a, a UCL and his pitching elbow that was skinnier than normal that concerned the Astros and, and the Astros got ripped in a lot of corners uh, by writers, by people in baseball. Like, what are they trying to pull? And then Aiken literally blew out his elbow the next time he took the mound in a game that counted, you know, you know, at a postgraduate program at IMG the next year. And unfortunately for Aiken, when, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, the, the great success rate of guys coming back from Tommy John surgery. Well, he's the, the, the exception that proves the rule, I guess, because his stuff did not bounce back, but you know, it's just, you know, the, the, when these things happen, the team is somewhat protected because you get pretty much the same pick in the next year's draft but it could be awfully tough for the player. But I mean, I, I think Jonathan, I, I agree with you hundred percent. If he's healthy, he probably is the best pitcher in this down group of pitchers. And I, when you say too, I, I would think of all the pitchers on our preseason draft top 50, the guy whose scouts are eager to see the most is Carter Stewart just to see how healthy he is. Like, I don't think it's even close. Oh, without question. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and we had him, and, and, and I'll admit, you know, my institutional memory isn't what it used to. Is. I, I had to look. He he is the first pitcher we have listed on our top fifty based on on talent. Um, I had someone tell me that if you could be sure he's healthy, he he's a candidate to be the number one pick in 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 the draft just based on talent. If you wanted to go the pitching route, um, now that's a lot of ifs, and so I'm willing to go out on a limb and say he will not be the number one pick in the, in the draft. Uh, but yeah, never has a, a junior college debut been so eagerly an, anticipated. Uh, I think uh, a lot of people will be heading to the, the East coast of Florida to watch each and every start that he makes to, to see uh, how's it, you know, how he's progressing and, and how he's throwing that curveball. I feel safe in saying it's got to be the most anticipated Juco debut since Bryce Harper. How about that? Well, I know. Nicely done. Jim, you mentioned the pre-draft MRI program, which is good. It's good that these guys can get checked out and teams have that information. Can it be taken another step so that uh, an even fuller evaluation can be made from a health standpoint on these players before teams go ahead and draft them? It's tough. I mean, you'd have to negotiate it. I mean, not every pitcher participates in the pre-draft, pre-draft MRI program as it is. I mean, you could argue from the other side of things. Yeah, if I'm with a team, I'd like to know as much medical information as I can get. And I think the best thing about it is it's eliminated the days where agents would deliver medical reports to some teams, but not others. Now everybody gets the same information. So that's all good. You could also argue, though, I mean, it kind of puts the player at a disadvantage where like you're basically putting him in a situation where his stock can be damaged by the medical information and it doesn't really offer him much protection. I mean, the rule, there's a lot of talk about how the last couple, you know, agreements, CBAs between the owners and the players have not done great from the player side. You know, you look at, we basically have a de facto salary cap and what's happened to free agency, but the, the, the injury rule, for the draft is horrible where it gives all the power. It's all the power to the teams. The interpretation of medical results is solely at the, you know, judgment of the team doctor. Um, it's not like there's an independent panel. So if the team doctor doesn't like the way somebody's physical results look, then he, uh, he fails the physical, there's no appeal. Um, and then you get, you know, a, a small portion of the bonus offered to you, uh, you know, is your only recourse. So it's th- that rule is a terrible rule from the player's standpoint. Although a lot of pitchers do go along with it because then you run the risk of maybe hurting your draft status. If teams think you have something to hide, but you know, I, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, I don't think you're ever going to get a NFL like combine where everybody gets a full medical, you know, breakdown before the draft. It's just, it's logistically difficult to start with because a lot of these guys are playing even when the draft comes or or shortly before the draft. All right. As we record this podcast, it is Thursday afternoon. The rookie career development program is ongoing. I mentioned Jonathan is down there in Miami. This is an event that was always held outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia. This year, it makes the move from the weekend to midweek and much to a much warmer place uh, in Miami, Florida. So, um, Jonathan, it's a chance for teams to send some of their top prospects and they really get a chance to get lessons, basically, in the classroom and out. They get to talk to you and you grill them a little bit on the media side. And they also there's humor involved. It's a it's a neat event 
um, maybe fill in the gaps that I missed and let us know how Miami is different than Virginia. It's warmer. Not in the hotel, though. Um, no, no, no. Um, although just being able to look out uh, <clears throat> onto the water here is, is certainly uh, a nice uh, change of scenery. It, it's interesting. I mean, for years and years and years, it was in the same place in, in Virginia, outside of D.C., uh, secluded kind of uh, purposefully. Uh, I, you know, I had always been told uh, so that the players would focus on uh, on the information and, and the tasks at hand. And, uh, you know, they have things lined up for the players here at, at night. Uh, but I, I did come in going, is like Miami the place you want to go where you want players to sort of stay put and stay focused? But, you know, to their credit, they – They've all been here and, and and gone to all the all of the discussions and things like that. And there's yeah, there's media training. Uh, Second City has a touring group. Uh, not only are they a tremendous comedy troupe, but they do a lot of role playing and things like that. So players can kind of in an entertaining fashion work through uh, situations that can happen in, in the clubhouse or back at home with family and friends once they make it to the big leagues. Uh, they uh, they do a lot on financial planning. Uh, they have a session on inclusion. Uh, they did a session earlier today about uh, sexual assault, um, you know, which I think is very important and, and is sort of a, a newer part of the program. So it, it's basically meant to equip players who are, are on the brink of making it to the big leagues. Some of them have made it to the big leagues Uh to give them the tools necessary to avoid the kind of off the field pitfalls or, you know, misstepping in the, in the media or social media that can trip them up needlessly when uh, all, you know, so they can focus on the field and, and get the most out of their, their abilities there. All right. So let's get to the players themselves. And Jonathan, some of the players tend to really stand out in this event and, and are more personable than others for whatever reason that is. And we picked out some of the better interviews that you've had a chance to do so far. You haven't gotten through everybody yet, but let's start with Taylor Hearn, Rangers pitching prospect. And let's hear from him now. I mean, obviously you were in double A last year, so you know you're getting close. Does this give you another hint? Like, all right, they, they clearly think that you're going to be able to help out in, in Texas sooner rather than later? Uh, yeah, ho hopefully, hopefully here sooner than, than later, like you said. But, you know, um, honestly, I'm trying to just take it day by day. Um, I'm still getting, like you said, like still getting used to a lot of people, still getting to know people. I'm very excited. The fan base is great. It feels good to be home. That's one thing. Um, but, yeah, I'm very excited. And um, let's see, ho hopefully, hopefully sometime this year. If not, I'm not going to complain about it, but I'm going to try to give, give it all I got this year and try to let them know that, you know, hopefully I, I can help out soon. Uh, you know, I know what happens in season when you get traded, you know, your light gets sort of turned upside down. Now that you've had a little time to, to, to step back, uh, what was that whole experience like just going through uh, that part of the game that does end up impacting a lot of guys? Oof. I mean, so this was, what, my second time getting traded? Right. I mean, I kind of, you know, it, it was kind of, this one was relatively a little bit easier because the first time getting traded, you kind of didn't know what to expect. You kind of sometimes didn't know how to, how to do things. And I think going through the second time and just trying to be myself and not trying to overdo anything and um, just, just honestly just trying, to, just trying to get to know the people. You know, um, and definitely out there on the field too. The main thing on the field is I, the first time getting traded, I was trying to go out there and try and do too much. 
And then the second time, I'm like, look, I'm going to go back to what got me here and just be myself and everything. And it's, it's paid off a lot. So even though like your, your numbers in Frisco, once you got there, aren't the prettiest in the world, you, you, you don't put too much stock in that. First of all, I know it's a real small mm -hmm. sample size. But you know, what were your takeaways just from AA overall in, in 2018 in terms of, all right, this is what I need to do in order to make that, that final leap up? Um, yeah, like you said, it was a small sample size, of course, but um, I, I learned a lot in double A. I think that's where I really grew as a pitcher. Um, I learned how, I learned a lot, um, mainly trying to learn how to set hitters up, but mainly having that three-pitcher-less mentality. That was something that they, that they preach with the Pirates, and especially with a guy like me that has that type of stuff. You know, I, I realized a lot of guys in double A just want to foul stuff off of me and try to keep me in the game longer. So I try to do whatever I can to try to get in, get out. And then the transition from Eastern League to the Texas League was really interesting because, you know, that they, they, they love to swing in that league and the Eastern League is they're more a little patient so that was something I really learned but I mean I, I mean I took a lot of a lot from it and definitely learned how to be in the game um, always I mean you know I mean it was it was it was fun with the Pirates because you know we'd have Mitch we'd have a bunch of guys Ruth Baker a bunch of guys being gonna go seven innings and you know I mean it was like pushing pushing each other and it was the same thing with when I came to Texas the same thing so I mean they, they're real open arms and I can't thank the Pirates enough for what they had. They helped groom me into the picture where I am now. And Jonathan, we kept that to the, the real baseball questions. He also talked about um, the RCVP as a whole, and you have some fun questions with them as well. What stood out, what stood out to you about Taylor Hearn? I had never actually spoken to him in, a, in an interview setting uh, before, but the year before last in the fall, he was in the press box uh, for a game charting pitches and was really personable. So I was, I was looking forward to, to talking to him and uh, you know, he's a Texas kid. So he, he was excited to, to go back home um, and, and, you know, play, play closer to home. Uh, and, you know, and he's been traded twice. So he, you know, talking uh, about uh, sort of that side of the game and, and how he, he's dealt with it. Uh, you know, it was all all really good stuff, and he's got a very good head on his shoulders, and so he, he's handled he's handled it well. He gave the Pirates, you know, a ton of credit uh, for really helping him develop and get to the point to be this guy who is close to to being ready to impact a a major league pitching staff in some capacity. Yeah, he's really interesting. He's got a, a tremendous arm. If he's one of these guys, Jonathan, like you, you, you get guys like this. I felt like I covered him in the draft for four straight years, even back in my time at Baseball America, from Texas high school to San Jack Junior College to Oklahoma Baptist. But you know, I, maybe there's a little question: Is it starter reliever? You know, what's what's a little unusual for a guy who throws as hard as he does? Is it's you know the changeups better than the breaking ball in his case, which is a slider? But there aren't many lefties who can light up a radar gun like he can. And he did a pretty good job of throwing strikes, which has been, you know, sporadic in the past. And I know the Rangers are, are really excited to get him. They're one of the organizations I cover. You know, they, they, it's interesting. They've added some nice lefties this year, not just Taylor Hearn, but Brock Burke in their, in their recent trade. And they're going to have Cole Reagans coming back from Tommy John surgery with Joe Palumbo, who just did. Good, good group of lefties there in, uh, in Texas. All right. The next guy we're going to hear from is John Duplantier, the D-backs number one prospect right now. New rankings, of course, coming out shortly. But as of now, John Duplantier, number one. Uh, Jonathan talking to him about getting closer and closer to Arizona. Here's John. You know, I mean, you took a step forward this year, you know, developmentally on, on the field. So this is another sign that they think that you're, you're getting close. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I definitely feel 
uh, that the, the step on the field was a big one for me um, in terms of just moving up, getting the falling nod, and, 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 and doing what I was doing out there, you know. So this kind of just one of those other steps that kind of just seems to be the right path moving forward. We talked a little bit about this out in Arizona, but you know, you had another you know, small injury where I imagine you probably had a, oh man, and then you got back at it and then fall league. How, right. how much better did you feel after you know, finishing out that fall league in terms of, all right, everything's healthy, I got those innings in, I'm, I'm back headed in the, in the direction I need to be? You know, the fall league for me was a lot like uh, 2017 was for me, coming out of the draft and then going down with the, uh, the elbow uh, soreness where I just came out of the draft through and in and I was like, nope, we're going to take, take some time off. Um, and then again this year with the, with the shoulder and going to Arizona and kind of dealing with the heat again and, and battling that recovery and then coming back, finishing out the year and then go home for a week, kind of reset, came out and my arm, I felt like I was 18 again. You know, it, it, my arm felt phenomenal, phenomenal, um, all, all fall league. So mentally, it was put me in a beautiful state. You know, I just I felt good um, in terms of I wasn't ever worried about oh is my is my arm gonna hurt? Uh, how does my body feel? It's like nope, today I can just wake up, I can go to the yard, get my work in, prepare for a game, prepare for this lineup, say hey to the buddies, hang out, enjoy the moment. You know, so um, going forward, kind of. On the same on the same path, just hey, let's just go play ball, learn some stuff, and, and see what we can do, and hopefully end up in the year in Arizona. <laughs> hopefully, you know that's always that's always the plan, but you know it's got to convince some people. All right, Jonathan, he is a guy who's kind of knocking on the the door there at the big league level. Do you expect to see him um, at some point starting this year in Arizona? I think he would love to be starting this year in Arizona. Um, I think that it's more likely uh, that he starts the year uh, in AAA would be my guess. Uh, you know, yes, he made up for this time, you know, in, in the Arizona Fall League, but he did only throw 74 innings uh, last year. Uh, so he doesn't have a lot of time in the upper levels. Uh, he threw well in the Fall League, but I, I think uh, you could – slow him down a little bit and uh you know whether he starts the year even in back in double a or moves up to triple a he can get a, some more work in um you know he is eager to show that uh that he can stay healthy um you know he he did have some uh, uh some issues this past year uh with some arm fatigue and he came back and and you know looked stuff wise great in, in, in the fall. So he's eager to, to get back at it, as he said, but, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, there are going to be some durability sort of whispers about him until he can put together a couple of, you know, a few seasons back to back to back where there, there are no injury concerns. Yeah. And that's really the only, I think, question with him is, is being able to stay healthy. I mean, he's had injury issues going back to rice. He, he missed a full season, uh, in 2015 before he came out. Um, but he looked really good. You know, I, I know I was in the fall league more than you were this year, Jonathan. He looked great in the fall league when he pitched. Um, and it's, it's just health with him. I mean, we have our new top 100 prospect list coming out soon. I won't uh, – I know you and I are both sworn to secrecy, as is Mike Rosenbaum. We won't, we won't talk about where specifically he's ranked. But I will say if he had a clean track record of health or a cleaner track record of health, 
I mean, he'd probably rank, you know, maybe 25 or 30 spots higher on the list. Yeah, I think so. Stuff-wise, all that. Absolutely. All right. One more interview to get to from the RCDP, and that is Chris Paddock of the Padres. And this one went on a little bit, Jonathan. Uh, he really was a was a talker with you. Let's talk to Chris, hear from Chris Paddock first talking about coming back from injury. You mentioned the Tommy John surgery, and you come back. Uh, you say you put your name on the map. Looking back at the year that you had, are you even a little surprised with how good you were so quickly after surgery? Um, yes and no. Yes, because, you know, it was a long road um, of recovery. You know, you can have, there was a lot of bumps in, bumps in the road. Um, you know, I was out for almost 20 months uh, from the game of baseball. But no, because, you know, I worked my butt off coming back. And, you know, I looked at the positive every day and, you know, we had two veteran guys who kind of took me under their wing and, you know, kept me kept me focused, kept me motivated. Um, and I couldn't tell you, man, how many times I went over those starts in my head, you know, just preparing and for me to just get another opportunity to step out there on that mound. Uh, it was very special for me and my family. Uh, but yeah, man, it was a long road to recovery. I learned a lot about myself um, on and off the field um, and I can promise you that I can handle just about whatever's thrown my way now uh, being you know like I said away from the game for 20 months I realized how much I love this game and how much it means to me and my family. Who are the, who are the, the veteran guys? That took uh, Colin Ray and Robbie Erlin uh, those are we had Eric Johnson a few other guys um, but I related to Colin Ray and Robbie Erlin mostly uh, they had Colin Ray had Tommy John surgery as well as Robbie so we kind of, they had it a little bit before me, so we all got to kind of go over dinner. They took me out to dinner a few times and just, you know, I asked them questions about life, about baseball. And it was just cool to have, you know, two veteran guys, um, you know, like I said, just take me out to dinner and get to know them and make me feel comfortable and, and positive and stay positive on the long journey to coming back from Tommy John. Now, usually that, that, first year is just about getting your innings in and saying hey, you kind of accelerated things you know how much you have to maybe even slow yourself down now because you're, you're you got to double-a you had some success there you know what do you feel that you need to do to kind of stay on the course so that you're ready when when in San Diego is ready to call you up um, I say you know the biggest thing that I've been trying to uh, focus on and, and teach myself is my third pitch uh, you know it's it's kind of been in the air right now my curveball is, it's, I wouldn't say it's a show pitch. It's gotten better. You know, this past season, I really got to work on it and throw it to hitters. Um, and towards the end of the year, last year, or this past season, you know, I really got to see it improve and get some swing and misses on it at, at the double-A level and stuff like that. But that's something I've really been focusing on this offseason to, you know, develop, develop my third pitch and get you know, get it comfortable to where I can throw it here coming up in spring of 19. Jonathan, the one thing that we can't get from hearing Chris Paddock on this podcast is we don't get to see his haircut at the RCDP, which could go down in RCDP lore, I think, as, uh, well, it's something. It, uh, I don't even, I don't know how to describe it. People should just watch it. He said he's let it really grow out. It's, it's like, kind of like a mullet but the sides are cropped really we were joking uh off camera because here the rookie prime was uh he's here josh naylor and and buddy reed was here 
and it was by far the best hair of any organization across the board. Um, but uh, that aside, um, yeah, he was just very, very thoughtful. All three of these guys gave very long and thoughtful answers, made my job a lot easier in, in doing these interviews. And, uh, you know, just talking about the process that he has gone through to get to, to where he is now after his, uh, his Tommy John surgery and his ability to come back and throw as well as he did. Like, I know people, you know, who are, who listen to this podcast and, and read our stuff. know you know, he's on the top 100 and everything. Uh, you know, yeah, I see only through 90 innings last year it was his first year back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, do you remember when like command used to be like something that took a while to come back? Well, he, he walked eight and struck out 120 in 90 innings. Every time I look at his line from last year, I have to like look two or three times because I don't, I don't believe that that's possible. They, they are, as they say, video game numbers. Um, so uh, it, uh, it's amazing what he was able to do that first full year. And I'm excited to see uh, what, what he does. And uh, if we were doing rankings based on interview skills, he would move up much higher on the top 100 list. Well, in his case, he's pretty high on the list. So I don't know, Jonathan. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he can move, move up, up that much higher. But I, I will say he's a guy I'm fascinated to see because he really hasn't pitched a full season. You know, spectacular numbers last year. And, again, we're still working through our top 100 prospects stuff. But, you know, we, we annually do a story on the best tools. I think there's a, a very good chance when all is said and done and we get all that stuff calibrated that Chris Paddock may have the best changeup of anybody on that list. And he may have the best control of anybody on that list. Um, so he, he may he may get a, a double appearance in the in the best tools article that always accompanies our top 100 prospects list. And all of these interviews, by the way, are going up on MLB.com. So they're going on the club sites as well. So you can go to the Padres site and see Chris Paddock's hair in all of its glory. I would say uh, maybe an 80s mullet because of the shaved sides and then not sure what's going on up top. But... It is. It's something, Jonathan. And you didn't even comment on it during the interview. Not during the interview. We joked about it before and then talked about it afterwards. And I thought about trying to get the three of them together. But, uh, you know, as Jim can attest, uh, you know, it's hurting cats sometimes just because there's so many so many players <clears throat> all over the place. So getting all the Padres together for for a hair shot would be tough. One more thing. So Jonathan, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim. I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not there this year. I know, I know last year, my favorite interview was another Padre, Luis Urias. We were just talking about all the talent in the Arizona Fall League. He'd been there the year before. I know a couple of years ago, you were enthralled with Malik Smith. Who was your most valuable interview of the 2019 Rookie Career Development Program? Wow. Well, I mean, I, I picked out a couple of the good ones. You know, it was, it, this has been a really, really good year because um, there were very few guys who – uh, were like, oh, that guy was just okay. Um, I thought everybody was, was really good. Um, I'm going to, if I'm going to pick a guy that maybe that I had never talked to before, cause obviously we cherry pick, you know, so like Monty Harrison, yeah, no, no fooling. But he, you know, he's, he's going to be good. You know, who's really good. Oscar Mercado is really good. I had talked to him when he played in the fall league. Um, very thoughtful. Shed long was great. I mean, I, I could go on and on, but Justin Dunn really impressed me. Um, you know, still sort of dealing with uh, the trade. He was actually 
slated to come here with the Mets and then now is here with the with the Mariners. And we didn't have a guy get traded while we were here like happens has happened. But he uh, yeah, there is still a little time. He uh, but he 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 did a, a really nice job in in uh, talking to him. And then I'll give a little shout out to Sean Anderson of the Giants just because he talked about how, uh, Jim, you wore him out in spring training talking about the Gators. <laughs> Well, yeah, I did. I, you know, when I get start talking about that pitching staff, and he was one of the. I know that's one, what I told him. One of the guys, one of the guys who was who was relegated to the bullpen and has had all kinds of success as a minor league starter. That that should be anybody who was on that 2016 Gators team should just expect if you run into me, I'm going to barrage you with questions about the pitching staff, even if you were a position player. So I don't know. Maybe we. I haven't talked to Jonathan India yet, so Jonathan India should be aware next year in spring training that that, that I could wind up. Uh, tying him up for several minutes about that. Yeah, you got Buddy Reed and Peter Alonzo on this podcast talking about it. So you've certainly gotten them all. Hey, one more thing, Jonathan. Um, and this is, uh, I don't know if you got a chance to talk to Brandon Lau, but he is apparently the winner of the RCDP Rock, Paper, Scissors competition, which I saw a little video. It, it looked like it got pretty intense, right? It is. It, I was joking with the, the, uh, the really talented Second City group that comes and, uh, like I said, not only does, you know, performs a, like an improv comedy show, but does all this role playing um, uh, with with the guys. Uh, you know, they do all this great work and rock, paper, scissors is like probably the highlight. And I think they started this last year. I had not had a chance to talk to, to, to Brandon Lau. Um, we, I wanted to talk to him because his, uh, his Twitter handle is Sweeten Low. Right. But except he, but it's not low. So I guess that's the irony. So that's one. I did not get a chance to talk to him. Uh, I did give a shout out to Nick Birdie who lost uh, the rock, paper, scissors this year. And I told him uh, in my tweet to keep his chin up because uh, Jack Flaherty lost last year. So clearly you lose the, the Rochambeau title here at, at RCDP. You get National League Rookie of the Year votes the next year. So, yeah, good for him. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Thanks to Jonathan down in Miami, Florida, and Jim in Chillier, Chicago. And join us again next time. This has been the Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.